Hi, my name is David Elstein, and this is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is designed to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. This episode is slightly different. It is the audio recording of the webinar on the ABUS MOC program. You will hear from Dr. David Martin, ABUS Executive Director. More information about MOC can be found at www.abus.org. If you enjoyed this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you know the next episode is posted. My name is David Martin. I'm the Executive Director at the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery, and I'm joined by David Elstein, who is our Manager of Communications and uh, Education, and Denise Frazier, who's our uh, Manager of Certification and Credentialing. And we're going to go over what you need to know to participate in the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery's Maintenance of Certification Program. I'd first like to start by going over the ABOS mission statement. Uh, our mission is to ensure the safe, ethical, and effective practice of orthopedic surgery. And we do that by maintaining the highest standards for education, practice, and conduct. And we do that with examination, certification, and maintenance of certification programs. And we exist for the benefit of the public. I'd also like to cover one of our guiding principles. The ABOS believes that there is no place for bias or discrimination within the field of orthopedic surgery or within our organization. I'd like to introduce you to our board of directors. This is our board of directors at our fall meeting uh, in 2022. And I show you this for a couple of reasons. This is uh, a board of directors consisting of practicing orthopedic surgeons, just like you. They're dedicated to our processes and dedicated to getting these things right. And I can assure you that you can pick up the phone and call any one of these individuals and talk to them about our programs and processes and look for ways to improve them. I also show you this to let you know that these are practicing orthopedic surgeons who go through the same processes as you and I, and these are initial certification dates and then maintenance of certification dates for each of our directors. We do have a public member, uh, and you also see some subspecialty certification in the areas of surgery, the hand, or sports medicine. So what we'll go over tonight, uh, by way of an overview, we'll talk about the requirements for the maintenance of certification program. We'll talk about the nuts and bolts of our application. We'll talk about completing a knowledge assessment as part of the maintenance of certification program. And then we'll answer your questions. At the end of my talk, we'll have you raise your hand in Zoom. We will unmute you. You can answer your question, ask your question, and then we'll try and answer it. If we answer your question before we get to you, please go ahead and lower your hand and then we'll know that your question's been answered. So let's get started. The one question I get a lot from our diplomates and from people uh, outside of our board is, the maintenance of certification program is hard to understand. It's complicated and has a lot of features. And what I wanna tell you is that it's just not that complicated. This is all of our maintenance of certification program in one slide, and it takes me about a minute to go through it. So this is ABOS maintenance of certification. We're in a 10-year cycle. Professional standing, you need to have an unrestricted medical license, and you need to have a hospital or surgery center privileges. Continuing medical education, in any 10-year period, you must complete 240 Category 1 credits of CME, of which 40 have to be self-assessment credits. Knowledge assessment. In any 10-year 10, 10 cycle, you need to complete 
one option of our knowledge assessments. And we have three options. You can take an oral recertification examination, much like your part two oral examination, based on your own cases. You can take a computer-based examination. Those are now practice profiled and you see all the subject areas here. Those practice profile computer examinations are given in general orthopedics, but then in each of the subspecialties and they contain only questions in that subspecialty. The third option for a knowledge assessment is our web-based longitudinal assessment, the ABOSWLA program. And that's uh, an ongoing longitudinal program, which many of you may know about. If you complete that, you don't have to complete the other two. So you need to complete one of those three. Finally, for practice improvement, in every 10-year cycle, you need to go through one set of peer review, and we do that based on the application, and submit a case list so that we can evaluate your case list and give you feedback on your case list. That's the whole maintenance of certification program right there. That's all it consists of, those four areas, each in 10 years. So I, we think it, it can get complicated when you start to look at the time frame, but it's pretty simple if you just think of those four areas. And those are the areas that you'll see on your ABOS dashboard. The CME. We need 240 continuing medical education category one credits, at least 40 of those need to be scored and recorded self-assessment examinations. And there's a list of accepted self-assessment examinations on our website. We accept orthopedic-related CME activities only. Examples of those acceptable activities are found on our website. The certificates for your CME, if they're on your academy uh, learning portfolio, they they cross uh, automatically to the ABOS. If they're not, you can upload the certificates on your dashboard at www.abos.org. Activities on the learning portfolio, as I've said, are automatically transferred. You need to check that. So you have to claim the CME on the AOS website. And then as long as we have the appropriate number, uh, those uh, CME credits transfer over. If you feel like that's not happening, uh, please contact your certification specials. Please understand, we don't save those transcripts. We are not a repository for CME credits. We are looking for you to get 240 in a 10-year cycle, and then we're sort of done with that. But those are the CME requirements. From the caseless submission, uh, the caseless, we would like for you in the year that you are filling out an application, we want all cases where you were the primary surgeon performed from September 1 through September 30th. So if that's this year, you start January 1. I think I might've said September 1, sorry. January 1 through September 30th, you start collecting those cases. When you get to 75 cases, you may stop. If you don't get to 75 cases, 35 is the minimum. The cases are from the same year as you submit your application. And those go in uh, also on our website through the scribe system. There are a list of cases that actually don't count. Some of the more minor procedures don't count towards that 75. So you need to look at procedures not to include on our website. If you submit between 35 and 75 cases during that time period, again, if you get to 75, you stop. 35 is the minimum. So you need to go from January 1 to September 30th. If you do that and you're between 35 and 75, you can do the knowledge assessment of your choice. Again, the oral exam, computer-based exam, or the ABSWLA program. If you have fewer than 35 surgical cases submitted January through September, 
please call our office. What we would like for you to do, we will add the two months from the previous year. I'm sorry, the three months from the previous year uh, so that you have a year. If you still don't reach 35 in that extra three months, then we'll have you um, proceed backwards until you get to 35 cases. At that point, you'll be labeled low volume and then we review the case list. You may still be able to, <coughs> excuse me, um, complete the knowledge assessment of your choice, but our credentials committee will analyze that, uh, those people who are in the low volume category. If you no longer perform surgeries, then you need to contact your certification specialist because we do have ways to put you in a non-operative or if you're not even seeing patients, a non-practicing pathway. So many people ask, why do we require a case list? We feel like if someone's operating, we ought to look at the types of cases they're doing and look at a listing of their cases. And we feel like a nine-month period is a reasonable look at someone's practice. If we get to 75 cases, we feel like we can look at their practice with those 75 cases. And if we need to go farther back into the previous year to get 35, that helps us get a good sampling of the practice. We feel like when someone puts in a caselet, it allows them the opportunity to self-reflect on their practice, to look at their performance in practice. We also, once the caselets all come in, we send you a feedback report that'll have benchmarks comparing you to your peers in not only the subspecialty that you have, but also in the uh, most common CPT codes that you submit. And finally, we use, utilize a case list if someone needs to take an oral examination for either uh, uh, a reason that they choose to on their own or because our credentials committee would like a closer look at their practice, the case list is then used for that purpose. Let's talk about the application. The application will be available next month and that will be on your ABOS Diplomate dashboard. If you are in years four through nine of your 10-year cycle, you may complete the application and send in the case list. The application requests general information found on applications that you have filled out. We try and self-populate as many of the fields as possible. A few special notes. Uh, you will be asked on the exam on the application which type of knowledge assessment you would like to complete during that 10-year cycle. Again, an oral examination, computer-based examination, or if you're involved in the longitudinal assessment, you want to choose that. We will ask you to go over your practice locations, both your current practice locations and any practice location that you have been at and either left or still are, are utilizing that location since your last application. We also will need the hospitals where you have surgical privileges at, that you have or have held since your last certification. We will need a letter from each of those hospitals indicating the appointment date at that hospital and the type of appointment. These are not your original letters or reappointment letters. It's a current letter from the hospital saying, Dr. Smith, has this type of privileges here, and they were appointed at this date, and that's a current letter. We also need information about your state medical licenses, the state medical license number of any state where you hold a license or have held a license since your last certification. Finally, we utilize the application to send out peer review, and so we will ask for the names and email addresses for these individuals at your hospitals or surgery centers, the chief of staff, the chief of orthopedics, 
the chief of surgery, as well as your current practice partners. Uh, as far as the peer review, we will utilize those names and email addresses uh, to send out an electronically accessed survey. We feel that our peer review process is a rigorous process. It's very important to credentialing both our applicants for initial board certification and also diplomates applying for uh, recertification. We look at uh, questions on that uh, electronic questionnaire in the areas of patient care, surgical skills, and professionalism, and take those very seriously. We utilize those names and email addresses that you supply on your application, and we also utilize the zip code uh, from your office location and utilize enlarging circles to send zip code peer review to diplomates who practice uh, in your practice area. From the standpoint of the fees, the application fee is $1,075 if you submit it by 4 p.m. Eastern time on December 1, 2023. It's the same application fee, whether you're doing a computer-based exam, an oral exam, or the ABOSWLA. There is a two-week grace period. Uh, after that two weeks on December 15th, if you submit your application in case list by then, uh, there's a $500 late fee, and you can utilize the additional two weeks. Uh, from the standpoint of the assessments, then, that's the other part of the fees. Uh, once you're accepted to sit for examination, your application case list goes through a credentialing process. If you're doing the computer or oral examination, you will pay for that assessment. That varies depending on the type, and if you have subspecialty certification, that can vary from $1,040 to $1,750 for an oral exam with a subspecialty certification. If you're utilizing the ABSWLA, that fee is then collected yearly. If you have subspecialty certification, it's $300 per year. If you don't, it's $260 per year. Uh, so those um, assessments are meant to be in the same price range. We have a maximum fee. So if you start out in the WLA, the ABSWLA program, and you've paid for several years and decide you want to take a computer exam or an oral exam, you can switch over, and there's a maximum fee that comes uh, right about in the middle of that, um, that range for the type of assessment. But that would be something to discuss with your certification specialist. So if you have subspecialty certification in either surgery of the hand or orthopedic sports medicine, um, you complete the same recertification application, same case list. That's in, in those two areas. Uh, for your information, we have just over uh, 2,000 uh, individuals who hold subspecialty certification in surgery of the hand. In orthopedic sports medicine, it's a little bit over 2,500. You can certify both your ABOS general orthopedic certificate and your subspecialty certificate at the same time with either of those three options. The computer-based examination, you would take a combined examination, and it would need to be in surgery of the hand or sports medicine. You could take an oral examination, and that would be uh, uh, what we call combined oral examination. It's no different than a regular oral examination, but it would be in that subspecialty and focus on that subspecialty. Or in the ABOSWLA program, you choose five of the 15 knowledge sources each year in your subspecialty area and that will cover both your certificates. 
If you do not have subspecialty certification and you would like to obtain subspecialty certification, you may be able to earn that at the same time that you recertify. And that would be something to call and talk to your certification specialist about because there are some requirements for the case list and then for the type of uh, knowledge assessment that you would complete. But you could do that as you uh, renewed your uh, research, you recertified your maintenance of certification. As far as the practice profile examinations, I talked about those. They're computer-based recertification examination in 10 different subject areas. The general orthopedic examination obviously has questions over the breadth of orthopedic surgery. If they're uh, practice profiled in any of the subspecialties, they don't have general orthopedic questions. They have questions in those subspecialty areas. Each diplomate, if you choose that computer-based pathway, has three opportunities to pass that examination. The examinations, the practice profile examinations are now only available in alternating years uh, because we need enough people to take those to establish passing standard. So you need to be careful, talk to your certification specialist or look at the um, website and I'll, I'll depict that here. You can see that uh, in group one or the green uh, group that's uh, foot and ankle trauma, peds, shoulder and elbow surgery, the hand, those are offered in the odd years, 23, 25, 27, 29. The orange group here, group two, adult recon, oncology, sports medicine, and surgery of the spine are even years. That's uh, 22, 24, 26, and so forth. And so that's on our website. Your certification specialist can help you navigate through that to be sure that you uh, are able to take the appropriate ex examination in the appropriate year. From the standpoint of just to go through sort of the whole process, if you're taking a computer-based examination, one of the practice profile examination or a general orthopedic examination, you submit your application fee, you submit your application, the CME and SAE have to be completed, your case list is completed and you do that by December 1st of this year, December 1st, 2023. We then obtain peer review. We review your case list. In April of 24, our credentials committee meets and reviews those applications that are turned in by this coming December. You receive an email uh, saying you've been approved to sit for an examination. At that time, you pay the examination fee and you're able to schedule your examination. We'll get you instructions on how to do that at that time. You will then, between August and October, take the examination at a Pearson testing center. The last time around, you may have gone to a Prometric testing center. We are moving over to Pearson testing centers. And so the, those are be, will be the place where you take the examination. And then in December of 24, we need to wait till all people take the examination through August, September, and October. Then we will send you an email when we post the results to your ABOS dashboard. So that's sort of the process if you're taking a computer-based examination. I would tell you if you are taking that examination, you wanna look on our website in the Diplomate uh, um, page of, your, of the ABOS website, and we have um, blueprints for each of the examinations there. This is just the first two pages of the general recertification blueprint. And then if uh, you can see my cursor, each of these categories is actually a link and you can click on those and it will take you to those specific pages and give you a little more detail about what's contained on the examination. You can also print the whole thing out. They're all about 
uh, 12 to 20 pages. Um, there's information there about block timing, uh, about how many questions are in each block, and there's a tutorial. I would encourage you to do the tutorial on our website. It will tell you how to navigate through the examination, how to flag items, how to highlight items, how to move from one block to another. As you move, finish one block, you go to the next block, you can't go back to that block. And so if you do that tutorial on our website before you go to the testing center, you can apply that uh, time to your break time. And so I would encourage you to do that and, and look that over to be familiar before you get to the testing center so you know how it's gonna look and function. So suppose you elect to take an oral examination. Same thing, you submit your application, application fees, CME have to be done, case list um, by December 1st of this year through your ABOS portal. We then look at the peer review, we review the case list, and then again, the credentials committee meets in, in April and reviews the applications. You'll receive an email saying you've been approved to sit for the application. And later in April of 2024, we send you 12 cases that were selected off your case list that you will need to present at the time of the oral examination. You'll then go back, upload all of the documents, x-rays, those types of things will get you a packet of information to tell you how to do that. And you'll pay the examination fee. You'll take the examination in July of 2024. And then in September, we'll send you an email and let you know when we post the results of that examination. Uh, to your ABOS dashboard. Um, again, there's a lot of preparatory information for the oral examination uh, on our website. There are videos there. Uh, this is a still shot from the video that sort of shows you the setup of the examination. The scoring rubric is on our website. Uh, I very much encourage you to go look at that. Each case that you present is scored uh, by each examiner in these nine categories. You're given a zero, one, two, or three, so it's a pretty tight scoring window. Uh, this document is, again, on our website. You can click on it. It's a PDF, and you can print that out so you're familiar with how the examination is scored. And then I would encourage you to practice presenting your cases. Uh, practice. You'll be given about a two-minute time period to present the case. You'll present the case and then be asked questions, and I'd really encourage you to practice prior to uh, getting to the oral examination. Finally, uh, the ABOS WLA Longitudinal Assessment Program. Uh, if you are participating in that, as you know, that's a yearly program. Uh, you need to have five quality years for that. On January 11th of this year, we posted 218 knowledge sources on your ABOS WLA portal. You get to that through your Diplomate dashboard. Uh, there were 111 brand new knowledge sources to go with 107 knowledge sources that we've carried over from the last two years. You select 15 of those knowledge sources, review those between now and April. The knowledge sources are journal articles, practice guidelines, utilization criteria. And on April 4th at 9 a.m., the window will open for you to answer questions related to those knowledge sources. You'll get two questions pertaining to each of the 15 knowledge sources. You'll be told, we're about to give you two questions from this knowledge source. It'll list the knowledge source. Are you ready? And then you'll get question one. You get three minutes to answer that question. This is open book format. And then when you answer that question, it will then say, are you ready to go to the next question from that knowledge source? When you click yes, you'll answer the next question. It'll then say, we're about to ask you two questions from this knowledge source. You can go through all 30 at once. You can go through one or two or several. 
Uh, but you can do that in as many sittings as you would like. I would really encourage you to use a, a full-size laptop or a desktop computer. It's not a platform that works well in a personal device. Um, and you can answer questions at a time and locations convenient for you. It's important to have a good internet connection as well. Uh, so eligibility for the WLA, review the specific requirements on our website. You put in your expiration year of your um, certification and that will help you decide whether you're able to start. Just to go over some of those, if you have an expiration date in 2028 or earlier between now and 2028, if you, you must have already started the WLA or you are not eligible to start that. If you have an expiration date of 2029, that's when your certificate expires, you must start in 2023. You must start this year unless you've already started. If you expire in 2030, 2031, or 2032, we really recommend that you start this year. The idea is that you have, you have to get five quality years and we want you to have seven or eight chances to do that. Uh, if a life event happens during the question answering portion, if for some reason uh, you're in the tiny percentage of people who don't uh, uh, achieve a quality year in one of those years, you have extra time. So we encourage you to start as soon as, if you haven't started, start this year. If you have a 2033 date, you have to wait till next year. That means you've already uh, worked ahead and you have to get into the 10-year cycle uh, to start. If you have a 2034 expiration date, you got to wait till 2025. Um, and that, if that seems confusing, you can go to the website and click your expiration year. And if you still have problems, just call us. And if you have trouble calling, just send me an email, dmartin at abs.org. I'm happy to um, um, give you a call uh, and uh, um, talk through that. Um, to be eligible, um, uh, you have to hold um, a board certification. If you hold a subspecialty certificate in one or both, you have to choose at least five knowledge sources in that specialty, uh, in that subspecialty each year. Or if you have a hand in sports, you got to choose five in each. If you're non-operative or non-practicing, you may participate in ABSWLA. Please contact your certification specialist so we can make sure we get the proper paperwork and uh, pathways available. There's not a requirement to participate in longitudinal assessment. The computer-based and oral examinations are still available. Again, the practice profile examinations are all in alternate years. So you want to make sure that you don't sign up to take uh, an examination uh, in an odd year that's only offered in even years. Um, completion metrics for the ABSWLA program, as I mentioned, five quality years by the end of your eighth year. So you have eight chances to get five quality years. A quality year is correctly answering 24 out of the 30 questions. The idea of this program is for you to be familiar with the knowledge source. Um, and in 2022, more than 99% of people who completed all 30 questions um, earned a quality year. So these are not meant to be trick questions. They're meant to try and um, encourage you to read and spend some time in the knowledge sources and allow you to choose knowledge sources that you can apply to your practice. Uh, if you have knowledge sources that you think ought to be included and are not included, please let us know. Send me an email, send me the title. We'll give that to our um, our uh, knowledge source groups and uh, have that considered for next year.
Important dates again in WLA, January 11th, all the knowledge sources were posted. Um, you can start to review those. If you have trouble getting to a knowledge source, let us know. Uh, I'll take this opportunity, uh, as I do often, to thank uh, both the journal editors, who are our colleagues, and the journal publishers who make these uh, sources available to you at no cost uh, through that time period. So that that's a big deal. Uh, if we had to pay for that, that would be a big deal. Uh, there are a few that you have to sign up for. You can only access one time. If you have trouble, please let us know. Finally, the, the assessment window opens at 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time on April 4th. You finalize, you pay the fee, and you can begin answering questions. We close the assessment window at 6 p.m. on May 23rd. You have to answer all 30 questions by that deadline. If you don't answer all 30, any that are not answered or scored is incorrect. So those are the two dates to remember, April 4th to May 23rd. Helpful hints, I mentioned this, use a laptop or desktop, don't use a mobile device. Use Chrome, if you're having trouble viewing the knowledge sources, use a Chrome internet browser. Uh, if you aren't sure what that is, Again, you can call us if you have um, teenage or college-age children, ask them. They'll tell you what a Chrome internet browser looks like that's easier to view the knowledge sources. Uh, we've tried to work through some of the other browsers. It's been difficult. Um, watch the tutorial video. There's a video right on the website that tells you how to do it. Answer the sample questions. That will tell you sort of the rhythm of how it goes so you know what's going to happen and you'll make sure that the answers come up uh, on your computer and that sort of thing. Um, you don't need a certain number of CME credits towards your tenure requirement. You don't need to have filled out the application or case list. You can start that in year one of your tenure cycle. Um, these are our certification specialists. Each of you has your own personal certification specialist um, assigned in, in a very um, specialized fashion based on the first letter of your last name. Uh, uh, and this is their, uh, this is the contact number. Um, this is their emails. I already told you mine is dmartin at abos.org, but we're here to help you and try and walk you through this process. Please don't hesitate to give us a call. Uh, we're happy to receive calls um, unless you start yelling at us, then we're not as happy, but um, we will try and walk you through this as, as best we can. Um, we use email as our primary source of communication. So please be sure that on your dashboard, your email is up to date. Please be sure that on your dashboard, your email is up to date. That's our primary source of communication. So we take great pains. Um, David Elstein is our communications um, uh, guru. And we spend a whole lot of time making sure that when we send you an email, it's meant specifically for you. We do not send emails out saying, please complete your charts, please complete your charts. And you're sitting there saying, my charts are completed. I don't know why they keep emailing me and just hit delete. Don't delete an email from us because if it's being sent to you saying you need to make a deadline or you need to do something, we have specifically called your name off the list of 21,000 people and said, you should get this email. If you get an email and you think it doesn't apply to you, please call us. Um, but, but that's how we... Um, uh, um, communicate. And so, you know, don't be like the T-Rex um, 
you don't want to say, oh, wow, that was today, um, if it actually was yesterday. Um, finally, we're active on social media, and we try and post some of these things on social media. Um, obviously, our website, I mentioned several times, if you have a patient that says, why are you doing this board certification? Send them to mycertifiedorthopedicsurgeon.org. There are patient-facing videos there. There are videos of patients. It explains what you've gone through to become board certified. So that's a patient-facing website, mycertifiedorthopedicsurgeon.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Um, and we have a podcast. It's at anchor.fm forward slash ABOS or wherever you get your podcasts. Look for the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. I would, again, encourage you to listen to some of these. There are um, um, podcasts about how we write questions, about how we put on the exam. There are podcasts from um, orthopedic surgeons that are from underrepresented minorities, that are from different genders, that are um, from different time frames. They're, they're very good, and I would really encourage you to go um, listen to those if you have a few minutes. Uh, that's the information that I have to uh, um, share tonight. Uh, my contact information is there. And now what we're going to do is uh, answer questions. So raise your hand in Zoom and we'll try and call on you. I would also let you know that this webinar will be posted tomorrow on our website, on YouTube, and an audio-only version will be posted on our podcast app. So if you know someone who missed it or should have listened to it, um, don't hesitate to let them know and we'll um, uh, have that posted for them. So I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen. Uh, and it looks like um, we have uh, Paul Johnson uh, has a question. And I'll just uh, say something, uh, Paul, before you ask your question um, that I forgot to mention when I uh, went on my rant about the email addresses. You can now enter two email addresses. So if there's someone that actually checks your email and you don't, put their email address, but I would encourage you, you know, if you put an institutional address and then you leave and in the process of leaving and changing practices, you forget to tell the board because you're in year two and you're not thinking about it, you won't get emails. So maybe if you have a Gmail account, if you have an account at home, just stick that in there so you can have two emails so we can really get the message to you. Um, thanks. Um, and Paul, go ahead. Can you hear me? We got you. Um, one of my partners who just recertified told me that uh, I feel fun. By the way, your presentation was very good. Thank you. Um, told me that uh, I hate using all the abbreviations, but my WLA work that I've been working on for the past several years can count towards my SAEs. Is that correct or not? So right now, uh, it is not. Um, with the, the Academy offers CME for completing, uh, the, um, WLA, um, uh, and they have talked about, um, uh, applying, um, that, uh, CME for self-assessment credits, but we have not done that yet. We're looking into that, but not yet. Thank you. Uh, next I see Dr. Potini, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yes. Um, I just wanted to double check. I think my understanding was if you complete the CME requirement, SAE requirement, and you obviously upload a case list, 
you don't have to have already done all five years of the WLA. Like if you're in year four of the WLA, can you still do the whole process? And then my question is, if that's true, then I guess at what point does your application get processed? Does it just be put on hold until after you finish the fifth year or kind of, I just want to double check on that. So no, if you're in years four through nine, you can fill out the application and case list and then we obtain the peer review. Uh, you do have to have your CME completed. That's correct. And, and then that application will go in and that will be considered by our credentials committee. Um, once, if that's approved by the credentials committee, then um, you would continue in the WLA until you finish the five years. And at that point, you would then be renewed for the 10 years. Okay. So as long as I have the CME done and I can do the paperwork on the case list and get all that stuff done, even if I'm just in year four of WLA. That's correct. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. They're sort of separate. We've separated those processes, right? It used to be application case list approval, and then you take the exam and then you move forward. But the WLA is sort of unhinged those processes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And Dr. Adelani, again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question was about the letters that are required from the hospitals where you've had privileges. So do you require letters from every hospital where you've had privileges, even if you no longer work there, or are you only requiring letters from where you are currently privileged? Uh, so the letter from the hospital about your privileges from any hospital that you've had privileges since your last um, uh, recertification. Thank you. That's great. Yes. And uh, I, I, that seems... Um, it's not easy. We understand that. And unfortunately for most people, it's not a big deal, right? You moved from somewhere and uh, um, resigned your privileges and moved to a new place. But, uh, you know, if a hospital throws you out, we need to know about that. Or if you've been separated from a hospital for cause that's and moved to another hospital, we need to know about that. So that's why we request those letters. Uh, yes, Dr. Southgate. All right. Um, so I have a, a quick question. Basically, so I got certified in 2019 and I'm good through 2029. So if I submitted my application and case list for recertification in December of 2023 and everything goes according to plan, when is my new like board certification timeframe? Like, would I basically lose years of board certification if I decide to recertify early? Uh, no, in fact, your tenure stays the same. So I, uh, I missed that. You said you expire in what year? 2029. So you would go to 39. Even if I recertify in 2024? or whenever. Yes. Is that correct, Denise? Am I getting that right? Okay. Yes. All right. Great. Yes. Any other questions? Yes, Dr. Edwards. 
Yes, hi. Um, so I expire in 2026 and am doing the hand and upper extremity exam. Uh, the computer-based exam is my hope. So it looks like 2025 is kind of my only option for that, correct? Uh, I'm trying to look at that, find that on my here. screen. Uh, yes. Is right. that, so that's if, if perchance I fail that and I expire in 2026, is there any other option for a second test? Like a general ortho exam the following year in 2026 before I expire or? So, yes. Yeah, so it's offered every year. Okay. So we still have time. Wonderful. And then if my exam is not until 2025, I guess I wouldn't start the case submission and all of the application until 2024. Is that also correct? Uh, yes, or you could do that this year, actually. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. Yes, no problem. Uh, next would be Dr. Zaret. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I apologize. Uh, yes, thank you. I just wanted to confirm, I think you said this already, but you can't submit your case list until all the CMEs have been completed? That's correct. Right now, that's correct. Why is that? Uh, that, well, because once you complete that, we have those completed by the time of the application. That, it, it because... That is, um, we're allowing people to apply early so they can have three chances at the examinations. They're all offered every other year. So you either want to um, take those in five, seven, nine, or six, eight, ten, right? So you're going to apply early. But, but if you apply to take that exam, we have to have the CME done before that. So um, I'm in, that is, I'm in that will, yeah, that will actually change in the next two years, but it hasn't changed yet. Because I have, I expire in 2025. I have one more year left for my w, WLA. I've done four qualified years so far, but I'm still lagging a little bit in CME. I was hoping to submit my case list this year and still continue my CMEs over the next two years, but you're telling me I can't do that? Uh, that's correct. You have to have the CME done. So you would have to have the CME done by the time you submit the application this December. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So in fact, that, yeah, it goes that the 240 and 40 are um, in the 10-year cycle, but up to uh, the time of the application. And to be participating in uh, MOC, list is participating, you have to have half of them done by year three. Um, although that doesn't affect your certification. And that that's something that will be changing uh, although it's not changed yet. So what your perception is correct. Uh, and next would be uh, Dr. Minahane. Yes, good evening. Question regarding um, the oral exam. If somebody failed the oral exam, is there a way to get feedback as to which of those um, items on the rubric scoring kind of chart was it or is it just a pass fail uh so what you receive is a pass fail uh if someone's unsuccessful uh and they call i can uh talk through uh 
some of the the categories um and, and let them know where the um uh what which of those nine categories contributed more to their overall score being below the passing standard um so we do that um through a telephone conference I hope that answered the question. Um, and we're we're working on some better feedback for that. It's difficult. It's a difficult process. The scoring is a little bit. I that's a whole. I can explain that to you, but that's probably a whole other conversation. I'm happy. If you want to call? I'm happy to go through the scoring with you. No problem. Um. Any other questions? I see no questions. David Elstein or Denise Frazier, is there anything that I missed that we ought to uh, emphasize? Oh, there's a question. Um, Dr. Bate. Okay, sorry. Uh, thank you for the presentation. I was on staff of a joint center outpatient facility, which closed. Uh, November 2022, I assume like any other hospital I have left or facility, I have to track down whoever the responsible chief of staff, chief of surgery was of that facility. So that's close. The, the facility's closed. Yes, it was for profit and they had stringent requirements for these outpatient total joint patients and they could not maintain a volume to keep the Got facility it. open. So it closed in November. Uh, Denise? No, we won't ask you to track down any information from that. If you could, when you file that application, you do have to list that surgery center. If you could put a news article or something, upload that instead of a letter from that facility stating that they're closed, we'll accept that. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Uh, any other questions? All right, well, seeing no further questions, uh, again, I thank you for your attention. Please don't hesitate to give us a call if you do have questions. And uh, again, we will post uh, this webinar uh, to our website and uh, our podcast and YouTube sites uh, so that anyone who missed it can uh, uh, take a look. Thank you again for your attention and uh, we will see you the next time around. Thank you.